Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. Here's your host, Tom Bourne. Hi, and welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. I'm Tom Bourne, your host today. Today with me is Michael Playwright from Working Well Together. Welcome, Michael. How are you? I'm not bad, Tom. Yourself? Oh, very well. Perth is beautiful this time of year. It's a it's a mild day, but it's 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 wonderful. Where are you based, Michael? So down here in chilly Melbourne, it's a bit cold today here, unfortunately, and a little bit sunny, but hey, we're heading towards spring and summer. And the, and the AFL finals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. All right. Uh, Michael, can you, can you tell us a little about, bit about working well together and what it actually does? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Working Well Together is focused on workplace bullying prevention and management. So, so fundamentally um, managing psychosocial risk and, and trying to provide a safe environment for employees. You know, and I know that this is a very stere- a stereotypical thing to say at the end of the day for, for employees to go home safe and well. But, you know, as, as we all know, you know, for many years, health and safety has been focused on um, the physical aspects and it's only now really starting to get its head into um, preventing the psychosocial risks and trying to manage those effectively or prevent them from happening. So I do a few things in relation to that side of things. One of them is, you know, workplace education, though I tend to like to steer away from the just doing the you know, what is bullying, what isn't bullying, what's the legal compliance, what's what's all that sort of stuff, because it doesn't help in the long term in the preventative strategies. You know, quite often what we get with, with training is that that organizations focus on the the legal stuff, but it's all reactive. Mm-hmm. What I want to do with organizations is say, well, what are the strategies you need to put in place to be able to prevent it from actually happening and, and occurring in the workplace? So there's that side of things. 
But there's also the two or, or working with individuals who've been part of the bullying process. And what I say with that is part of that is working with people who actually use bullying and abrasive behaviours. So leaders is where mm-hmm. a key focus is and working on them to be able to change their behaviours so that they're not um, abrasive and they become a really productive member of the workplace type of stuff. I think one. I think it's probably, in some ways, it's the most exciting part of it for me, because what we're trying, what I'm trying to do is, is trying to actually get people to think about those people who use bullying behaviours as humans, because they're so demonised all mm. the time. You know, if you hear, you know, people who use bullying behaviours, they're called demons. They're called psychopaths. They're called narcissists. They're called, you know, snakes in suits. You, they're called every swear word under the sun. Right. Yeah. But at the end of the day, these people are human and with some work, many of them can change their behaviours. And the thing for me is over the years, I've seen so many people who use bullying and abrasive behaviours move from one spot into a workplace to another to another. So they're transferred between departments or they just go to another workplace and use the same behaviours. So so part of what I do is how can we change these behaviours so that the ongoing risk is potentially mitigated and these people you know who usually have some fantastic technical skills actually become productive members of the workplace just by refining some of those people management skills type of stuff or you know in some instances it might be finding a job that doesn't involve people you know that might be what they need and, and we can work through that in coaching and then the other side of things is is around um strategies for people who have been bullied in the workplace and this is more reactive obviously Mm -hmm. um but it is also about you know helping them understand what's happening for them and how to build strategies to keep them safe so you know it's it's it may be you know and for some people i work with them and and i'm not a psychologist but but if i can sort of see when harm has occurred and say well maybe we should you know work on linking you into a psychologist to be able to you know help you through um that side of things and in the meantime helping them strategies develop strategies that keep them keep them safe it might be you know a bit of you know what i'd call bully blocking and and you know how do you put that line between yourself and that bully to be able to 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 keep yourself safe in the workplace so primarily you know what i do is it's employers who come to me and say michael we need this and i say yep fantastic let's pull it apart and and let's work out exactly what you need to be able to try and build a longer-term plan and i think that's part of the exciting thing too is that you know particularly now you've got more and more employers starting to talk about well how can i you know create a safe environment for my employees i mean if you look right now You've got a significant, you know, problem in the workforce with people coming and going, and um, and and you know, getting harder to find employees. So employers are starting to think, well, what do I need to do in terms of my work environment to be able to attract employees? And that is, you know, the things around psychosocial safety. So um, hopefully that answered the question, <laughs> the first question anyway. Uh, that was good. I like what you said about ad- addressing um, people with abrasive behaviours 
uh, mm. addressing their behavior because yeah my my ex my experiences in life is that you're right if you don't change or you don't address the behavior the person tends to go from one workplace to another or within a workplace they get transferred to department 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 mm -hmm. and the behavior continues um and perhaps perhaps they struggle to believe there's anything wrong with the behavior to start with so no that's excellent yeah yeah and and i would just say there too and you're absolutely right so, so what happens, Tom, is that with a lot of people who use abrasive and bullying behaviours, they, they did learn it when they were kids, right? Mm. You know, they, they, you know, when they were kids, they didn't have love, attention, whatever it was. And so as young children, they find strategies to adapt to get what they need. Then they go into the school grounds, practice the skills in the, you know, manipulation type skills in mm. the sand pits. And then go in the workplace and, and no one turns around and says, well, you know, you need to change your behaviours. Mm. Or if they do, they say you need to change your behaviours, but don't say how. And what you've got is you've got in somebody's head, it's like anyone, we've had a lifetime of learning and we can't necessarily see outside of our picture of experience. So we've got to actually get in there and help them identify new ways of doing things, you know, to be able to, to learn new ways of doing things. Because if you say, you know, hey, you, you scream all the time and, and you've got to stop it. Well, they will be saying quite probably, well, what's the problem that's getting me results in their head? And in their head, it is potentially getting them the results that they need. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. Look, uh, bullying and harassment, there seems to be uh, a whole a whole raft of new focus in health and safety on psychosocial uh, conditions. They've been around for as long as I've been around, at least. Um, but yep. there, there seems to be a new awareness uh, of some of the problems involved. In your opinion, do you think that the new emphasis on psychosocial hazards and risks in the workplace is because workplaces are more toxic or is it because workers have become more aware of that they don't have to put up with certain things in the workplace and are actually reporting them now. Mm, yeah. And look, and, and that's, it's, it is an interesting question and it's potentially, you know, a little bit of both of those, you know, I was reading um, just this weekend around, you know, um, incivility in workplaces and, and they were talking about, you know, what are the causes of incivility? And, you know, part of it was saying, you know, potentially it's the media is one influence. Potentially it's, you know, people on social media being able to, you know, vent without any boundaries and therefore they're starting to take those those um, those behaviours into the, the workplace. Um, the other thing is, and what really interested me was that, you know, over the last few, you know, decades, what we've seen is that, um, and whether this is true or not, I, I don't know, but it was an interesting comment. It was around, well, what we've had is we've had, you know, a, a few decades of people saying, well, I need to be respected and demanding respect. Whereas, but what's not happened on the flip side of that is people aren't all asking the question, well, how do I respect others? You know, which is an interesting perspective for me. And it sort of, it sort of made me think, and, and, you know, there is a little bit of that. You know, what does it mean to respect other people? So I think we've got this, this general community issue, which is there. Look, I, I think there's always 
been that level of bullying and harassment in the workplace and it's always been an issue. The problem is that people just haven't been able to to speak about it or it's been devalued. I mean, mental health in the workplace or or psychological, you know, risks in the workplace um, haven't really been something, you know, that's been able to, you know, been talked about for a while. I mean, if we look at it from a, a stigma point of view, you know, psychological and mental health up until maybe the last couple of decades has been this taboo topic, you know. I can't say that I've got, you know, anxiety and depression in the workplace because then that will result in X, Y, and Z. Mm. And it's only now we're starting to try and break down those barriers. You know, you know, you look at the are you okay days and, you know, all those sorts of things, which is, or, you know, Headspace and the work that they're doing and or the Black Dog Institute. And you sort of start to look and think, well, we're trying to change a culture around mental health that's had a stigma for such a long time. And I think that's slowly building and slowly happening, but it's still got a long way to go. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So, um, do you think, because you deal with leadership, do you think that uh, perhaps there's been in the past leaders who have worked really hard to get into the message, their positions and they've come through the ranks uh, one way or another, and they haven't realised their health and safety responsibilities and particularly their responsibilities to provide a safe mental health workspace for their employers? Mm, yeah. Look, and, and I think I think I can name, you know, many, many people over the years who have got into those positions because of their technical abilities in doing the jobs, you know, getting, you know, producing widgets or, you know, my own background is, is in community-based organisations and, and they've been brilliant. Um, in some ways they've been brilliant, you know, practitioners in the, in, in, in community organisations, but when it's come down to leadership, they haven't actually, you know, got the skills to be able to lead people, you know, type of stuff. Oh look, yeah, look, and 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 I would say yes. I mean, when you look at, in some ways, health and safety, and it will depend on the industry, I think too. So, in some ways, health and safety, you know, has sat in the side in potentially, you know, your office-based environments, and you know, health and safety has done, you know, things like, you know, making sure your boxes aren't there so people trip over them and all those sorts of things, but it hasn't been there in a, in a mental health capacity. Um, if I think of a number of, and, and I've worked, you know, I, I suppose, you know, a significant number of small to medium businesses as well, they don't necessarily have the resources where they've got a dedicated person who's doing health and safety. It's somebody who's doing something plus health and safety. So, so it's sort of, there's this sort of understanding, but not that it's there, but it's it's sort of like, well, okay, I'm not quite sure how you fit into this overall picture type of stuff. And I think that's part of our challenge. I think, you know, and, and if, if, if I look at, and I'll use myself as an example, you know, and I, in my 20s, went into, into management positions and I always knew that health and safety was there. It was part and parcel of it. I worked in small and medium businesses and I, and I stepped into health and safety roles type of stuff. Mm-hmm. But it was only because I had an interest. The, and I think what was 
problematic is is that unless you have a person who's really interested in those organizations then it doesn't actually follow through necessarily mm. if that makes sense and it doesn't become an embedded sort of process like it is perhaps in organizations with with bigger you know parts but then the other thing is that you know while I had the health and safety responsibility in management I had you know to manage teams generally you know so you've got all these competing interests Yep. And and the reality is for you know your small to medium sized businesses, well, where do you where do, where do you, does that fit into it? And it's interesting because because I have noticed that one of the challenges is you know around a lot of these small businesses and a lot of people I talk to is that that they don't really value the health and safety side of things because they're just so busy running the business, you know, or I've worked with medical centers where, you know, you've got GPs who really are responsible for who, who own the business, who are responsible for, you know, keeping it going. And this health and safety, the psychological health and safety stuff's on the side, but that's not what they're really interested in mm. of stuff. So it gets pushed to the side. And I think you've got a lot of competing, you know, um, interest in those smaller businesses whereas the other i've been in other extremes where you've got the larger businesses where i tend to think that you know health and safety in some ways is almost been marginalized mm-hmm. you know it's there we know we have to do it so we do what we have to do but then not really outside of that and i think the the larger organizations can potentially suffer from that too yeah yeah all right just from your experience, can you uh, tell us some of the uh, results of bullying and harassment in the workplace? Mm, yeah. Um, so you mean from a from a health and safety impact, from an injury impact? Yeah. 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 Look, or, if, or even from a business impact as well. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Well, look, and and from a business impact, you know, you you've got to have a look, and you've got to. It's it's all the typical stuff that we hear. It's you know, staff turnover. You know, is one of the things, and 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 you know, I know that certainly a number of organisations where bullying has been entrenched. It's not been unusual for me to hear something like forty to fifty percent turnover every year in some organisations of their staff because of the culture in there and you know from if you look at that from then an ongoing perspective you know how much is it costing to recruit to replace to train all those new staff you know there's that side of things um the interesting thing that i tend to find is that the amount of money that's potentially spent on the end stage you know the the lawyers and the fees and you know cases that might go or or go to courts or actually be work cover claims the amount of dollars and resources that go into that side of things is is massive, you know. And and you know, and, and when I look at the work case, worst case scenarios and the court cases, you know, there was there was you know um, a case in you know Victoria which was you know a payout for workplace bullying, um, and it was six hundred thousand six hundred thousand dollars. But the court case went on for seven years. Yeah. You know? So how much are they spending in lawyers' fees and all that sort of things? I I think there's that side of things. I find it interesting because some of the organisations I have sort of worked with have sort of had this approach of if there's somebody who's problematic, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pay them out, give them a big bag of money to get rid of the problem rather than manage it type of stuff, which which then has a double fold of, you know, rewarding bad behaviour from my perspective. 
mm. you know, as well as the organisation spending money on payouts instead of actually, you know, effectively, you know, say using those dollars on, on what their purpose is, you know, or what their, their business goals are, you know. So you've got that side of things. Um, if you've got, you know, and, and in this day and age, there is, of course, the problem with social media. You know, if you're a an poor employer, and I say poor employer, I should say that, um, people talk about it and people are, are willing to post it on social media type of stuff, you know, and, and you sort of look at it and you think, well, you know, it's particularly in this era when we can't get employees or employers can't get employees. Mm. How, do, how do they actually attract people when they're saying, well, if you're on the media or social media every day because of bullying, well, I don't want to go and work there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and if, from an individual's perspective, what's some of the things you've seen? Oh, look, you know, some of the some of the worst stuff I've seen has been around the the you know the I'll be quite honest the suicide ideation, you know, um, at the end of the day when you see um, people who have been worn down, and this is the real. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. challenge of, of workplace bullying at the end of the day is that because it's repeated behaviour over a period of time, a lot of bullying cases go on, you know, 6, 12 months or longer. You know, there was, there was a, a case um, in the media that's been in the media recently and a, a, a gentleman who was um, bullied in the same workplace for 20 years, yeah. you know, and, and, and he yeah. had this meticulous diary you know that he had been bullied for twenty years, and he and 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 he passed away in outside out front of his workplace. And and look, and I don't know enough about that case to know whether or to know whether it was suicide or an accident type of stuff. But I mean, that's the worst case scenario. And if you look at the research, like in one of probably the defining report in relation to workplace suicide ideation was done in in Scandinavia and released in around 2016 I was or it was I should say and it was talking about that people who um, have been bullied are twice as likely to be considering suicide ideation mm. um, there was another report around the same time which was a meta-analysis of another 20 odd studies and it found that um, that 57 percent of people who have been bullied are likely to have post-traumatic stress disorder type symptoms yes. you know so we're talking about fairly significant impacts on individuals and and 
these are the sorts of things that take a long time to get over. So if we're talking about, you know, work cover claims, it's no wonder that mental health work cover claims actually take so long, you know, because people who've been bullied or psychosocial injury usually are off for, for months to years if they ever come back to the workplace, you know. And, and this is fundamentally why prevention is the best approach to this side of things, you know. And, and bullying has, the, has this perfect opportunity to be able to intervene early because it's, it's not bullying is, is, you know, the three things. It's repeated unreasonable behaviour that creates a risk to health and safety. Well, the injury really comes, you know, a few months after the actual behaviour. So we've got to teach people to get into this spot of, um, of, of preventing the injury way back here rather than actually leaving it, <laughs> it happen. Oh, and, you know, and, every, and now you've got to do a workplace investigation. Well, it's too late. The damage has been done with true bullying, right? And, and, I, it's, and even those minor things that we don't think of, I, I remember I was working with, with one woman and, and she was talking to me and she was being bullied and she was losing her hair and the stress and the anxiety of her losing her hair, you know, it exacerbated the whole experience, you know. For guys, you know, it can be a little bit easier, you know, if you're losing your hair, you know. But for a woman to lose her hair, there was, there's a whole range of things that goes with that as well. So, you know, you've got the, the, the psychological, which then comes out in physical ways. And, and, you know, this is part of, you know, all part of what we can prevent. Mm. It's completely preventable. Would it be better, even in a workplace where there is no reported bullying and harassment, that perhaps some level of fundamental education of managers and particularly new supervisors are coming through happen before we get into that culture shift or before anything actually happens in order to stop it before it happens? Mm, yeah. Look, and, 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 and as... I think it, it's, it is really important, you know, that early on that people get an understanding of the what happens and how injury happens to be able to intervene early, right? And I think there's a key challenge that we've got here with education is that for so long our focus has been in terms of, um, certainly in terms of bullying, has been on the end result that we haven't enough spent enough time to talk about preventative measures. And this is where it really comes down to it is because if people go into a leadership position and they have no idea how to prevent, you know, psychosocial injury, then you're, you're three steps behind or how to recognise psychosocial injury, right? Because I can, I can tell you, you know, the, the, the list of bullying behaviours, you know, from, you know, the overt abuse through to the covert, you know, I'm withholding information and evidence from you to be able to do your job so you're looking competent, you know, all of those sorts of things, right? And one, so people have to be able to be educated in what those behaviours are so they can recognise them early and intervene. But then the other thing is that people, and particularly in leadership positions, need to be taught how to intervene as well, you know. And, you know, and certainly, you know, the, the psychosocial or psychological safety stuff is actually a really key thing 
in my experience, to be able to prevent and for people and leaders to be educated in. Because psychosocial, um, psychological safety, so I'll get that right, um, is about teaching people how to get their teams to speak up when there's a problem, how to create the environment and culture where they feel safe to do so, right? And so I think it's really important that we teach leaders those skills early so that they can create a team where risks are being raised early and, you know, put your potential risk in this situation of bullying type behaviours to actually be able to intervene and stop then the escalation to, to full on, you know, bullying. So, and because quite often what we're finding is that, or what you do find is that, that bullying starts as some minor, or what's perceived as a minor conflict back here. And then all of a sudden it goes out of control because people don't intervene and don't act. So, so that teaching leaders around you know what they can do early is really key and and some of that stuff i tend to think of is you know how do i also mentor and coach my team in terms of when there is conflict in my workplace as well yeah. you know Good it's point. not just about making them feel safe yes. but this but this is a thing you know at some point in time we've also got to bite the bullet and say well are we loading up our leaders and our managers too much with another psychosocial risk, which is unachievable work, unachievable workloads, mm. you know, because yeah. if you don't manage that, if we don't balance that, then then they're going to be under the pump too. True, true. Um, in your opinion, is bullying in the workplace underreported? Hmm. Look, you know, you look at the official data. Right, and and you know if you you look at the um, the workplace barometer report, workplace barometer says that bullying is about ten percent. Um, you know, and in, in, in six in a six month period, I should say, and across a lifetime, it's around forty percent of employees would be, would be bullied. I actually am not one hundred percent sure when we talk about the under under reporting question. Right. And the reason I, I say this is because a lot of my colleagues and my peers will talk about, well, you know, who do investigations, for example, will um, we'll do that sort of thing of, they'll say to me, Michael, you know, most of the incidents I investigate, you know, aren't bullying. Right. And... So, but what I tend to have come to the conclusion of anyway is that in some ways, whether it's bullying or not is irrelevant because the perception that somebody has that they're being bullied is actually what's going to impact them on them on, on a mental health platform, point of view, yeah. right? So it doesn't matter if I've been bullied or not, you know. And look, and, and I will be quite honest you know here you know i you know initially um got into this field because i had my own experience of of workplace bullying many years ago and you know and i look back and i you know ask myself was i bullied or was i not you know and other people you know when i've talked about it and i've worked it through have said michael you were bullied you were bullied you know type of stuff you know, but in my own mind, I still have this doubt. Was I bullied? What? But realistically, from my perspective, whether I was bullied or not was irrelevant because the behaviours that I experienced 
And I'm going to be honest, some of those behaviours were really quite, I'm going to use this term shitty, excuse my, part of my French, right? Good. And, um, but at the end of the day, they had such a negative impact on undermining my own um, belief systems in undermining my confidence that it took me down this spiral, mm. you know. So whether it was bullying or not to me is actually irrelevant, you know, because this is what we've actually got to do. We've got to, you know, skill people up to be able to, um, to recognise that early. And, and look, and let me tell you, back then, didn't have the skills didn't have the ability to recognize it myself. And it was because, you know, I don't know if you, you, you're familiar with the, the story or the, it's the frog in the pot of water. You put it on mm. the stove, yeah. you turn the heating on low, and then it slowly builds up. Yeah. That's exactly what happened to me. Yeah. Right. So, and a number of the people that I've worked with on the one and one support, you know, program that I do, they've perceived that they've been bullied. And look, and let me tell you, some of them have been bullied in their current workplace. Some of them haven't been bullied in their current workplace, but perceive they have. Mm-hmm. Um, and But what I find is that whatever that experience is, that they're actually carrying either personal um, trauma that they haven't addressed or they've actually been bullied in another workplace and they've taken it into their current workplace. Mm. And this is what we've got to recognise is that people don't just leave workplace and their past behind them, their past carries with them. You know, we are the sum of our memories. That's right. You know, at the end of the day. And what it requires employers and people who are in workplaces to do is to actually have empathy Mm -hmm. and to listen and to do all those things that connect and then help us create a safe environment for this person where they are so that they feel okay to be able to, you know, get help when they need it, you know, to be able to have the real open conversations as a manager and say, well, you know, what I'm hearing is I actually think you need help and I want to help you get help, you know. And and in many ways this is not, not just the case with people who are the target of bullying behaviours, it's actually the people who, you know, potentially use bullying and abrasive behaviours, you know, I want to make this workplace safe so we can support you to get the help you need. You're not going to be judged because of it, but we want to help you to be better and to be well in this workplace because that's important to us. That's good. Um, in your opinion, um, my belief is, based on from what I've experienced in my few years around this uh, this planet, a lot of employees, whether it's in the investigative process or whether it's in, under the workers' compensation, if they do make a claim, get so dissatisfied, they just leave that employer. They just go, it's too hard. Mm. Is, is, is that a common thing? Am I on the right track there? Yeah, look, and I think a lot of people will. And, and look, and this is, this is the ultimate problem. You know, and this is the, as I say, this is the um, this is the crappy advice I have to give people is if those people at the top of an organisation are not going to change their behaviour, you need to make a decision of whether this is the best place for you, right? 
And the question is, because you've got to have the resources to challenge a whole system, you know, at the end of the day, if the employer and the people at the top are not listening and are not going to change their ways. Because, you know, and, and, as, and, and as I said, it's the crappy answer and I don't like giving it, but it's the truth that I have to give at, the moment, at this point in time is that if you want to go external, if you want to go legal, if you want to go to a health and safety authority, if you want to go down the Fair Work Commission, you have to have the personal resources to be able to do that, mm. right, and the energy and the, and the nous. Um, and, and it's not always that easy. And the power imbalance, because even now when I look at, for example, the cases that we've we've had, even the high-profile cases, you know, the, the Brittany Higgins cases or, you know, the, you know, even the, uh, I think, was it Lisa Wilkinson? Mm. You know, you've got people who are in there pushing and fighting to keep the story down, you know, type of stuff. So you've got to have a lot of personal energy and resources to do that. And I know, you know, and going back to my own personal experience as well and, and the people I talk to, I know that when I was being bullied, I was in too much of a broken state to be able to fight, right? Yes. So I think a lot of people do because they're, they're, while we talk about, you know, ultimately there are some average employers out there, there are, there are some brilliant employers out there. There's some brilliant managers out there. And this is where it's, you know, where there's an opportunity to be able to get somewhere where you're going to be supported and where you are going to stay well, you know. Ideally, of course, I want to see all workplaces prevent this stuff, mm -hmm. you know. But right now, and this is the real challenge I find, is that we're not there yet. You know, physical safety has come a long way. And how many decades did it take for physical safety to get to that place? Mm psychological safety will take you know generation a generational change to really get there yeah yeah you know all right uh might ask you one more question michael and we might have to leave it after that yep all right bullying and harassment bullying and harassment uh usually seen to be the realm of hr to deal with mm -hmm. Because it is a, a workplace health and safety issue as well, would it be better for particularly larger businesses which do have health and safety resources available to them that health and safety advisors or officers are also involved in that conversation with persons who are victims or perpetrators or alleged either either? Mm. Yeah. Look, and, and I'm a firm believer in a collaborative model between human resources and health and safety, right? I think what we've got is that as time goes on, we've got this closing gap of responsibilities between the two. The real challenge is that I don't think anyone, the two industries have got together and said, let's clarify what roles we can play in psychological safety or psychosocial risk management in the workplace. Right. Yep. And, but in so many ways, I mean, because I look back and, and, you know, some of the work that I've done with employers has been pulling apart an incident that has occurred and said, okay, you know where I can trace this back to or where we can trace this, this back to? We can trace it back to that your 
um, leadership and your coaching and your learning systems for those leaders that you put in this place aren't, haven't actually um, been effective yeah. because you haven't taught this person how to be a leader and manager. You know, you haven't taught this person how to manage conflict. You have, you know, so there's, there's all that sort of stuff, right? And, and I think this is where health and safety can play a real key role is, is the root cause analysis side of things, you know. Um, and, and human resources, at the end of the day, human resources do have an important uh, part to play in this because there is the legal compliance around, you know, the Fair Work Act and unfair dismissal and all that sort of stuff, right? So, so you've got to, both departments have to come together to be able to work that line Excellent. and really manage it effectively. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right, Michael. All right. Um, I think we might uh, call it a date. Listen, thanks again for coming on and sharing your expertise. I'm sure people will have got something out of this. I'm hoping businesses will listen to and uh, come and seek your advice because uh, I know uh, when I was looking for someone to uh, talk about it, I, I thought of you straight away. But once again, thanks for coming on, Michael. Yeah, yeah. Look, and, and I just will make one last point. At the end of the day, what we do is we look at bullying and harassment training as being something negative, you know, that we are, uh, that we need to change, right? Yeah. Workplaces need to think about how we can be positive in saying this is something we're trying to create. We're not trying to actually punish people. We're not trying to accuse people. We want to build something better. And that's the opportunity that employers have and that we can achieve together. Yeah, excellent. Excellent. All right, we might leave it there. I'll yes. speak to you soon, Michael. Thank you very Thanks much for your time. Tom. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to Health and Safety Conversations with Tom Bourne. Until next time, stay safe and enjoy the rest of your week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.